Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and I'm absolutely delighted. I've got a big smile on my face. This is an audio podcast you can't see, but I'm very happy to announce that my guest today, my returning guest today, has been ranked as the number one management guru by Business Week, profiled by Fast Company as one of the world's top 10 creative people in business. He's a top five coach in Forbes and recognized on Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame as one of the world's leading business thinkers. Who am I talking about, listeners? Of course, it's the amazing, awesome, fantastic Dave Ulrich. Dave has a passion for ideas with impact, and him and his colleagues at the RBL Group have 30 plus years of experience in helping organizations and individuals succeed through HR practices in talent, leadership, and organization. I am a huge fan of Dave, uh, and it's just wonderful to get him back on the show. Hey, Dave, welcome back to the HR Chat Pod. Bill, what a delight. We've talked before, and this is just one of the most exciting times I've ever seen in the HR field. So, what a delight to join you. So, Dave, you are, of course, one of the most successful respected and well-known voices in the world of work uh you you've probably received every accolade that exists what motivates you to continue to contribute to the hr space it's a great question my wife often asks me that question why are we still doing this and the answer for me is this is not a job i was in a meeting the other day and people were introducing themselves i work for this company i work for this company i do this job and i introduced myself in a funny way my company is the HR profession. And my job is to create ideas and frameworks that move that profession forward. I have a variety of perches. I'm perched at the University of Michigan. I'm perched in the RBL group. But my calling, not just a job, is to create ideas with impact that move the HR, not just the HR profession, but that move people and organization forward. And so I define this more as a calling. Why would I retire? I love what I do. And, uh, I believe this, uh, this position, this calling is going to continue for as long as I'm able. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now, back to the conversation. I was recently uh, a, a co-host of one of the Disrupt HR events uh, in london uk and I, I got chatting to someone about what i do and they said oh who have you interviewed and uh, and your name of course came up and and, and uh, they said wow he's mr hr and i was like yeah yeah he is um they what would you what would you hope that your legacy will be in in the world of work when 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 people talk about you in 25 30 50 years time what, what would you hope that legacy would be you know, it's interesting to look back at the icons in our field, the the people like a Jay Galbraith, a Peter Drucker, Warren Bennis. What's their legacy? They gave people a way to think about their organization and how work gets done in their organization that gave them a more fulfilling life. I hope I can begin to create with so many great colleagues, and you've interviewed all of them. 
how do you think about organizations in a way that helps that organizational setting create a way of life that allow people to prosper and thrive? And to do that, I think we have ideas that change the way we think about HR. We'll talk about those, obviously. But for me, ultimately, the goal is to change the way we think about work and organizations so that people thrive. They have a better experience, both at work and at home. I know that sounds a little utopian and ambitious, but I really believe that organizations are one of the most critical settings in the world where people get their needs met because the organization succeeds in their marketplace. Now, Dave, as part of my homework ahead of today, I was uh, going back through some of your most recent posts on on LinkedIn. And uh, there's one called Personalizing the Employee Experience by Navigating Paradox. And in it, you write, by building on participation, employee value proposition, diversity, inclusion, and moving to personalization, leaders can help employees have better work experiences. Then by helping employees recognize and navigate four paradoxes, they can help each employee define and reach personal goals in ways that work for them. Thus, personalization emerges as the next agenda for employee experience. How has the concept of employee experience shifted in the past five to 10 years? You know, one of the things I love love to do, Bill, and, and you're a part of that with your incredible HR chat and other podcasts. I love to build on the past. Sometimes I get frustrated that people come out and say, here's a brand new idea. We should engage people. And I'm going, give me a break. Here's a brand new idea. There is an evolution of thinking. And if we build on the past, we make the future better. So around the employee experience, we've talked before about motivation, satisfaction, engagement, commitment, experience. So as you build on each of those areas, what's next? And when, when I begin to look at organizations as an observer and people, the word personalization really comes to mind with two parts. Part one is personal. Let's build on the employee experience and really demonstrate a sense of whatever you want to call it, the C words, compassion, care, concern, or the E words, empathy, emotion. We care about you as an individual person. We will tailor the work to you. And we'll discover what gives you a great experience at work. It isn't a generic proposition. It's a tailored experience where you work and how you work. The other side of personalization is the work setting. How do we build a work setting where your personal concerns are cared for? We used to call that participative management. That's a good idea. We then call that your employee value proposition. We call it diversity and building a unique setting. Now I think what we're beginning to write, we call it hybrid work. Where are you going to work? Now I think we're beginning to say your work setting is going to require the navigation of paradox. I got to be honest, Bill, when I did, I'm posting on LinkedIn every week. And when I'm trying to write in 1200 words, a complicated idea, this is one of the most difficult. Because when I, as a business leader, look at my employee, I say to them, I'm going to personalize your work. On the one hand, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to know you. I'm going to have empathy. I'm going to have concern. I'm going to show compassion. On the other hand, I'm going to tailor the work for you. What that tailoring means, and a lot of people misinterpret it, you can work wherever you want, whenever you want, however you want. No, that's not true. The reason we choose paradox is we care for you and we as a company have to still be competitive. We're going to tailor the organization so that it meets your needs, but you then meet our needs. And so the personalization is both on the one hand, personal for the employee, and the other hand, 
ization, if you will, navigating the paradoxes where you work. We're going to navigate that paradox. You can work at home. You can work in the office. We're going to navigate those two. We're going to care for you and you're going to be competitive. We're going to care about you as an individual and we're going to build a collective organization. And navigating those paradoxes says you are not just entitled to do whatever you want, whenever you want. You've got to do whatever you want, whenever you want, and create an organization that succeeds in the marketplace. That is tricky. But that's where we see that employee experience growing. Personalization, caring for you as an individual, navigating the paradoxes that allow the organization to be successful in its marketplace. Once in a while an event series is born that shakes things up, it makes you think differently, and it leaves you inspired. That event is Disrupt HR. The format is 14 speakers, 5 minutes each, and slides rotate every 15 seconds. If you're an HR professional, a CEO, a technologist, or a community leader and you've got something to say about talent, culture, or technology, Disrupt is the place. It's coming soon to a city near you. Learn more at disrupthr.co. Thank you, Dave. Let, let's talk about tailoring that experience to to a particular generation, a generation that uh, many folks are scratching their heads about that they're, they're trying to get to grips with, but they are becoming the biggest uh, single generation in the workforce, and that's, of course, the Gen Zers. Uh, I, I interviewed William Tinkup uh, a while back, and he said, Bill, you don't get it. You just you've got to do what the Gen Zers want, uh, otherwise they'll leave you. Um, so th there's a very distinct type of personalization there for the, for, for that group. Um, in the same article that I mentioned a moment ago, you, you write in a world of increased uncertainty and change. What delivers employee experience for a previous generation may not be the same as what works for someone right now. Employee experience and expectations at work change frequently. Next generation employees often have different expectations about mobility, opportunity, and voice. And Gen Z employees' mindsets are more about how work facilitates their relationships and growth, which are unique to each employee. Dave, can you tell us more about how the expectations of Gen Zers differ from past generations and how that impacts ways that the employer brand, HR processes, and the company culture has to show up? Let me let me engage you with that one. It's a great question, Bill. Bill, are you a baby boomer, Gen X, Gen Y, or Gen Z? I'm a I'm going to use a trendy term. I'm a Xenial. I'm I'm a I'm a millennial, but I was born in the early '80s. So you're a Gen X or a Gen Y, I guess. You know, I'm a baby boomer, so I'm old. Do you like autonomy at work? I personally thrive on autonomy. Absolutely. So do I. I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. Do you like work that gives you opportunity to learn and to grow? I see where we're going with this. Absolutely, I do, Dave. Yes. Here's the point. <laughs> Why people work is not necessarily new. I think people get all excited about baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. By the way, most people avoid Gen X. And sadly, those born between 64 and 82, we forget about them. But the why of work is not that different believe i want meaning at work become i want to learn i want to grow belong i want to be part of a community the fundamentals of why we work are often very similar in my generation we messed up universities in the 60s and 70s we messed up housing markets in the 80s we loved innovation we loved change i was the generation with people with long hair 
I don't know if you had long hair at a point in time or a beard and a mustache and maybe you still do, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think sometimes when we think about people, there are some fundamental needs, believe, become, belong that are transcendent, but how we work differs. I'm going to ask a very simple question. Did your father have the same job for most of his career or your mother? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my father did have the same job for most of his career. So did my father. He worked for the government. He built campgrounds, was a forest ranger, worked for civil service. Will your children, you have a three-year-old, will he have likely the same job for, uh, and again, he's not yet quite gotten into the workforce, but when he does get into the workforce as a proud dad, will he? Ha what's the probability he'll have the same job? He's a few years off yet, Dave, but I, my hope would be uh that he, he'll move around he'll have new experiences he, he'll uh he'll he'll become more well-rounded yeah let me and let me make the point in a very very simple way why people work is much the same it's been the same forever we want to believe we want meaning we want to become we want to learn we want to grow we want to belong we want to feel part of a community we want to be safe those are the four b's be safe believe become and belong how we go about work is going to change i have three children who were uh Oh, I don't know what they are. Yes, they're millennials. They're not going to have the same job. They're going to work remotely. They're going to work through technology. We're going to personalize their work relationship. Their children and your 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 son, who is will grow. For them, technology is just another extension of their life. I have a, a three year old grandson. He grabs my phone and flips through it and finds some music he wants to listen to. Amazing. He did that before he could speak. Technology is an enabler for them. It's a it's a tool for me. It's part of their identity. Where you work, how you work, how you approach work. I think we're going to see all the issues of how we work different. What does that mean for a business leader? A, back to personalization, part A of personalization, treat people with care, respect, compassion, empathy. The B part of personalization is tailor the work to their needs. Next generation, paradox. Do you want to work at home? Absolutely. Here's the paradox. If you spend your time working remotely and working at home, that's going to have a paradox. You're not as likely to be promoted into a senior management position. Management by uh, through technology is not as likely. You can live with that paradox. Do you want to be remote? Do you want to be in a company that builds community and become a part of the management team? You make a choice. We will build a job that works for you as long as you produce. You can't do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. You've got to produce something that creates value for a customer. One of the takeaways I have, and it's the same takeaway, the boundaries of work in my life and perhaps in your life were, were space. I get up in the morning, I go to my office, I sit in my office, work, community, building, whatever it is, and I go home. You define work as a place. Now work is no longer a place, but there is a boundary. And the boundary of work is the shared commitment to serving a customer. I've got to get that in soon before we lose our time because without, and so my comment to an employee today is, yes, we're going to give you the basics, be safe, believe, become and belong. Absolutely. And now we're going to help you find wherever you want to work, the way to use your gifts, your talents, your skills, so that a customer is benefited by your work today. Dave, before we hit record today, uh, you asked me a question. You, you, it was along the lines of, what, what are the, what are the key topics at the moment? What, what, what are the, what are the most popular topics that you're, you're seeing and, and influencing the downloads and such 
on the podcast. And um, of course, I answered uh, one of the main ones is uh, how generative AI and large or deep language models are shaking things up in the world of work. Uh, at, a, at a recent Disrupt HR event, we had 12 speakers, six or seven of those were talking about AI and its impact on the world of work in different ways. And uh, tech is increasingly impacting the employee experience, Dave, and changing the ways that HR departments are operating. How do you think generative AI and deep language models will shake up the HR function in the coming years? There's two answers. So let me give a broad answer once. Technology is always evolving. And, and, and we've seen some waves of technology that are evolving. One wave is technology allows us to do things more efficiently. We got it. All the technology-enabled solutions. The second wave, technology is full of apps. You've worked with Josh Burson. He knows more apps of technology than I'd even seen. Hundreds of new apps that are populating. The third wave of digital and technology at a broad level is information. It allows us to access information we didn't see before. And the fourth wave that we're moving towards is it allows us to have a differentiated experience. As technology moves through those waves from efficiency to application to information to experience, it changes the way of work. We can have experiences. I just had a nice experience with you, Bill, by seeing what's in your background, the ocean, the peace. I get to peek into people's lives through technology and find out. I have found out so many cool stories. That's a picture of your father. Tell me the story. That's a picture of your mother, your grandmother. And I get to see the experience build in a remote way. That's the broad evolution of technology from efficiency to apps, to information, to experience. Specifically with AI, think about AI as an incredible tool. I see people saying, stop AI, stop AI. And you probably don't remember this, but many years ago in the Tiananmen Square uh, crisis, there was a, an individual that's an iconic picture standing in front of the tank saying, stop the tanks from rolling. We're not going to stop AI. It's real. It's going to happen. What's the benefit of AI? It allows us to consolidate the past. The way AI works is it goes out into the internet and it says, what's been done in the past? It's kind of like a Google search extended. And it synthesizes that in a brilliant way. I decided in November when ChatGPT came out, my children who are all uh, college professors said, dad, this is going to change our world. So I got on, I did an exercise. What's the future of HR? Chat GPT in 20 seconds wrote a 200 word essay. I read it and I went, oh my gosh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And then I read it again. And I said, that's what people that you've interviewed on your show and I and others have written. That's what Chat GPT does. That's what neural language processing does is it goes back and processes that. It does not do two things. It does not create the future. So I wrote a 200 word essay that was what the next generation would be. I think knowing that we don't need to do literature reviews. We can do that through chat GPT, but we've got to have the creativity to go forward. The second dilemma that I've seen with AI, chat GPT and AI enabled, it doesn't have the ability to discern. I bet you've discovered, Bill, that on the internet, there are a lot of things that are not necessarily true or ethically viable. Take two seconds, you'll find them. Chat GPT doesn't have the ability to discern what's ethical and what's not. 
And so it synthesizes all of that in an amoral, not um, immoral, but there's no ethics about, wow, that came from a bad source. An example I love. I love it when I go on the internet and people say, I did research and I found out the skills for future HR people and I love analytics. And so I then asked them, so what was your database? I interviewed 15 people. Uh, that's not analytics, that's a focus group. And, and, and chat GPT would look at that with the same level of rigor. And I, I don't mean to spout our stuff, but we've done research with 100,000 people over 35 years. We've done analytics and chat GPT would treat those as equal and they're not. And that's where the judgment comes in. That's a long answer to your question, I'm sorry. But it's coming and it's going to shape our world. I would love to ask you that same question in about two years' time. There are projections, aren't there, uh, for a couple of years down the road um, that maybe uh, AI will outsmart us. Maybe it will start thinking for itself. Some people worry about. But that's a, that is a conversation for another episode later down the road. Don't know. Uh, don't know. And I don't know. I mean, that's one I just I don't know. Uh, AI is getting better. We've worked with some of the smartest people in the world in AI lately. It allows us to do research better. I mean, it's just so cool. I'll give you one example. Uh, most research is either observation, what did I see, interviews, what did I interview, or surveys, which is the most common methodology. So if I gave you a survey and I said, Bill, on a scale of zero to 10, how healthy are you? What would you say? Zero to 10. Uh, gosh, um, my ego would say one thing. I, I'm, I'm going to say six, six or six. seven. Great answer. Let me tell you what the new technology will do. We're going we're gonna to have you wear a watch that measures your sleep. It measures your steps. It measures your calories. We're going to have you take a picture of all the food you eat when you buy food at the store. We'll have a QR code so we know what you ate. We'll know your medications. We'll know how often you resubscribed them. Over a three-month period, we will now track your lifestyle with great rigor. We're going to come back and say, you gave yourself survey, interview, a six. The data says you're an eight. Woohoo! That's what we're doing today. We have scaled with Amazon Web Services 7,000 SEC, Security Exchange Commission, reports in the U.S. We now can tell you with some level of rigor how much you're investing in human capability. We've done it for 21, we've done it for 22. We don't need to go in and do a survey. We know what you've disclosed if you've disclosed accurately. That bill is gonna change the way we do research. Research is not just what did I think, it's you come out of a training program, what did I think? We're gonna track your behavior, at, at least at a company level, and your disclosures. We've done that with the SEC. It's amazing findings about what people are actually doing in the human capability space, not what they say they're doing. Same issue with the health. I would give myself a four and the data would probably say I'm a two. <laughs> um, but, but that's what we're starting to see with this new technology that allows us to do data and information more, much more effectively. And Dave, that takes us to the end of this particular interview. I will, of course, be hounding you in the future to come back on. But uh, before we do wrap up for today, Dave, how can our listeners connect with you, learn more about all the cool things that you get up to, learn more about RBL Group and all the other organizations that you're involved with? You know, before we wrap up, I'm going to make a statement, and, and I know you've done 600 podcasts, so I am beginning to sense that we are about on the cusp of another evolution or revolutionary step in the HR field. I think we're about to make a major shift. We made a shift from personnel to HR, from HR to human capital. 
I think we're moving from human capital to human capability. And I see three shifts. One, outside in. It's not enough to do HR inside the company. It's not about employee experience. It's not about our culture. It's not about our stories. It's about how the experience, the culture, the stories shape customers, investors, communities. Shift two, we're getting more disciplined about human capability. It's not just your people, it's your culture, it's your leadership. And we're beginning to come up with some rigor through the stuff we just talked about. And number three, and I'm gonna get in trouble with this, HR is no longer enough to be trusted to just HR professionals. I see HR becoming the issue for investors. We're spending time with investor relations. We're spending time with CEOs. We're spending time with executives. This set of issues that we're talking about is going to make a shift. We did personnel. We became human resources. We went from human resources to human capital. I think we're now moving to human capability. And I think we're beginning to see that shift outside in through talent organization and leadership, not just talent, and with much more accountability on business leaders. With that in mind, I hope people will follow me. I'm on LinkedIn. I have a newsletter. Uh, I think it's called Human Capability Impact. Look me up. I've, uh, I like LinkedIn. I should become an advertiser because a lot of people broadcast. I love LinkedIn with the engagement. Somebody said, who actually makes all those comments? It's me. Typos, bad spelling. But I love the dialogue with people in our field who want to grow and make progress. And Bill, you're one of the icons of that. Thank you for all that you've done. Oh gosh, I, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, I'm in good company often, but uh, I'm, I'm still working on, on building up my brand and helping the community. Um, and and yeah, that, I just want to comment on that before we do wrap up. Actually, I see you comment all the time and interact with people all the time on LinkedIn. And and to hear that that's always you, Dave, and it's not some assistant or or a bot or whatever it might be it's it's just it's just heartwarming uh, and and i think it just goes to show how much you give to the community and how much you care uh, i've got so much respect for you dave thank you very much for being my guest today what an honor bill my honor thank you and listeners as always until next time happy working thanks for listening to the hr chat show if you enjoyed this episode why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette? And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.